Hello, I'm Gary Fogle. Welcome to another edition of Kentucky Sports Memories. Thank you for joining me. And today we're talking football. If you were with me for my last show, you know I talked about uh, high school football and the changes that have occurred in practice habits over the years back in the 60s and 70s up until maybe even the mid to late 70s. It was common practice for coaches to not allow players to have water during practice. Uh, If they did allow them water, it was very little. And then probably mid-70s on, that that all changed. And you would never see that today, obviously. Players can get all the water they want during the course of practice. But back then, it was very common that players went entire practice without water. And I talked to some high school players from back then and some former coaches about the experience and how things have changed over time. So tying into that, we're going to move on to the college level, and we're going to look in particular at the University of Kentucky. 1962 UK football team, and of course, coaching techniques were probably more brutal back then compared to what the way they are today. But at UK in 1962, it was beyond brutal, according to the people who were involved with the program at that time. 1962 was the year that Kentucky hired Charlie Bradshaw as its new head football coach. Charlie Bradshaw had been an assistant under Bear Bryant at University of Alabama. So he comes to Kentucky to get his first head coaching job and trying to make his mark on the college football program. He uh, instills some very brutal tactics as a way to put it with that college football team. And they became known as the Thin 30. And the reason they got that nickname is because they started out with 88 players to begin that 1962 season. But by the time the season got underway, they were down to 30. That many players had quit the team because they could not or would not play for Charlie Bradshaw. Pretty amazing. The Thin 30, the 1962 UK football team. I uh, talked to a couple of players who were on that team, and one of them is Dave Gash. He still lives in Lexington, and I recently talked to him about that 1962 UK football team. Here's our conversation. So I'm going to ask you straight up, what was it like playing for Charlie Bradshaw? Pure hell. It was pure hell. It was, uh, you know, he he came back to Kentucky, going to be the next Bear Bryant, and I think he tried to outdo Bear Bryant. He was. Uh, he did some some bad bad things. So what were those bad things? Well, unnecessary punishment, uh, like hit on tackling, and <clears throat> pardon me. After you were already worn completely down, and I think his record will show that that he uh, he hurt a lot of a lot of young guys. He hurt them bad. That type of thing. The uh, mental aspect of it. He he was uh, never ever complimentary to you. Just a brutal hit. So, you know, he was a drill sergeant, a Marine drill sergeant, and I think he carried that over from, from to his football. So just, uh, you know, those type things. So a lot of players quit. Why didn't you? Well, first I was a, a, a fifth-year senior. I had uh, an opportunity at that time, I thought, to play a little pro football. And so there was no place for me to go. You know, I was stuck there. I had, to, and I, I don't blame those guys for for leaving in a heartbeat. A lot of good football players left there, made Western and Eastern teams the next year, 
really outstanding teams. Western won the Tangerine Bowl with people that that uh, Charlie had run off. You said you thought you might play pro ball. Why didn't that work well, out? Well, two things. My back, I had a really bad back injury between my uh, sophomore and junior year working construction. That hurt me. Then looking at it realistically, you know, I'm a uh, six foot one, 190-pound in. My speed wasn't all that good. So, uh, you know, I could catch the football. I could play deep. I could play on, on the college level. But realistically, you know, I thought at that time that's as far as I could take it. I was drafted high after my junior year. I was drafted by Philadelphia and Buffalo real, real, real high. And then the, the next year, uh, Philadelphia called me, asked me if I'd like to come up for a tryout. And I told them, no, I, I think I'd go on with it. I forget it. Go ahead and coach him. So you talk about Bradshaw and it being pure hell and his tactics. I assume no one could get away with that today. No way. There's no way. You know, people wouldn't put up with it. You know, Somebody interviewed me a few years ago about a basketball coach that was doing that kind of, of coaching, and he got fired. And I told him, I, it, you know, it amazed me that he got away with it then. You just can't treat kids the way that, that you did back in those days. Dave Gash, quite blunt about his feelings of playing for Charlie Bradshaw back in the 1962 season. Another member of that team was Jerry Woolham, and uh, he lived down in Pineville, down in eastern Kentucky. I had a discussion with him, and here's our conversation. Back when you played, obviously, that uh, what was your first year with the University of Kentucky? I went there as a freshman in 1959. And at that that time, freshmen were not allowed to play with the varsity. We had our own freshman schedule. So you were there 59, 60, and 61. So it was in 62, your senior year, that Coach Bradshaw came in, correct? That is correct. Now, from everything I've read about uh, that era and when he came in, of course, they called you guys the 1030. Many players left the team. I think you started with 80, and you ended up with 30 on that, that year's squad. Uh, so it was Actually, it was less than 30. When we went down and played my last game at Knoxville uh, University of Tennessee, we had, uh, I think it was 26 walking wounded. Is that right? Yeah. So what did Coach Bradshaw do? What was so brutal about his practices that everybody was leaving the team? It was just a, a real turnaround. Uh, Blanton Collier was my coach the first few years, uh, I mean my first two years uh, with the varsity, and he was just a, what his nickname was, is a gentle giant. I mean, he was a gentleman, probably one of the smartest football coaches that's ever been, and I absolutely just adored him. He was a great football coach and a great gentleman. But then Coach Bradshaw follows him, and so what's the difference between the two? I think the the biggest thing is he tried to make a change of uh, trying to mimic a Bear Bryant type approach where it was a uh, truly – physical and mental abuse of uh, of, of the athletes. 
Uh, I'm not going to say anything ugly about him. Uh, they they kind of treated me, I think, a little different being the quarterback and really the only one we had uh, was not really brutal to me, but to the other players is almost uh, like a marine boot camp. So did he just have drills that were extremely difficult or more so than what you would expect in a regular practice? More so of everything. So physical and verbal. Yes. Did you, I mean, several players obviously quit the team. Did you? Did, did it ever cross your mind that you might quit? Not really. Uh, the seniors we had, uh, I forget how many they were, but we we, we really had nowhere to go. Uh, very few people would have taken a, a senior in. And no, no, I never, answer your question, I never considered quitting. No, I was going to stick it out. Uh, but I, in the long run, I thank him for being so brutal because it changed my way of thinking. And I'd always thought that maybe I was wanting to try the professional ranks, but I found out after that year that I didn't care much for football anymore and went in in another direction, which I'm so thankful for. So after that season, uh, it uh, basically extinguished your love of football? Uh, for a while, it did. So you didn't like, you didn't watch it, you didn't follow it at all? Very little. Jerry Wollum, like Dave Gash, makes it pretty clear how he feels about playing for Charlie Bradshaw in that 1962 season, Bradshaw's first at UK. By the way, Kentucky went 3-5-2 and two that year, and one of the three wins was in the season finale. They went to Tennessee and upset the Volunteers down there by a score of 12-10. to 10. Uh, Kentucky won on a field goal, very last part of the game, to win it by a final score of 12-10. to 10. Again, their record that year, Charlie Bradshaw's first season, Three wins, five losses, and two ties. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll visit with Mike Coyle. Mike Coyle was a member of the U.K. football team up until that season. He still had a year of eligibility remaining, but a broken leg had ended his career. However, he remained on scholarship. Uh, He lived in the dorms. He was a part, or at least saw, everything that went on with Charlie Bradshaw because he was a part of the team as an assistant freshman coach and also a team manager. So we will talk with uh, Mike Coyle when we come back, so stay with me. I'm Gary Fogle. You're listening to Kentucky Sports Memories. Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. I just want to stop for a moment, tell everybody that if you're looking for help at this time, which for a lot of folks that can be food, it might be a a bill payment, uh, you might need help with medicine, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211 and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, 
please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones, and so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211. And if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Thank you. Be well. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. Welcome back. Thank you for joining me. And today our show is looking at the Thin 30, the 1962 UK football team. They were called the Thin 30 because that was the year Charlie Bradshaw took over as the head football coach. Uh, his tactics, according to the players who were involved at that time, were very brutal. So brutal that 88 players started out on the team that season. So many of them quit. They were down to 30, and as Jerry Woolham, who was on that team, said in the last segment, with injuries and some other departures, they were down to 20-some players by the time they got to their season finale at Tennessee, which I mentioned they pulled off the upset with just 20-some players when they knocked off Tennessee 12-10 to down in Knoxville to wrap up that season, their third win on that year. All right, we're going to move on to Mike Coyle now. Mike Coyle lives down in Elizabethtown, still working. He's an attorney down there, and um, he got involved with the U.K. program in the late 50s, coming out of high school, and he did not play for that 1962 team. He would have played, but he had eligibility remaining, one year remaining, but he had broken his leg earlier in his uh, career, and so not able to come back from that injury. However, he remained on scholarship, was an assistant coach for the freshman team, and was a team manager for the varsity while still on scholarship. So he saw everything that went on with uh, Charlie Bradshaw as he took over that 1962 UK team. Here are some comments from Mike Coyle talking about Charlie Bradshaw. Well, actually, Coach Bradshaw signed me to a scholarship in 1958 when he was an assistant under Blanton Collier uh, at Kentucky. And so he was a coach there my freshman year. And then he, uh, then he left after my freshman year and went to, uh, uh, went to Alabama. And then, of course, uh, three or four years later, 1960, after the 61 season, when, they, when the administration fired Blanton Collier, yeah, I was a senior, uh, I, I was a senior um, on that. You know, I, was, I was a graduating senior in the, in the spring of 62 when Bradshaw came. But I was still on scholarship, still in the dormitory, and so on. Uh, and what it was like was, uh, uh, it was uh, well, it's, it's hard to describe. Uh, we we probably Bradshaw probably ran off seventy or more players, uh, many of whom probably, or some of whom probably weren't SEC caliber players. Uh, but he got down to uh, what they called the thin thirty, and. Uh, uh, and it's probably down to less than that with some with some of the uh, injuries that were received. So yeah, it was it was brutal. Uh, probably today coaches would go to jail for something that they or certainly get fired for some of the things that went on back in those days. It was just uh, it was it was almost in, inhumane. 
Well, what did he do? Anything in, I mean, one or two instances in particular, what did he do that was so different and so brutal? Well, um, you know, I didn't have to go through. I was, I was there. Uh, I, I had, I was injured. I broke my leg in spring practice of my sophomore year. So after that, they made me a assistant freshman coach and then a team manager. So I really, I really wasn't playing, but I was, but I was still living in the dormitory, still on scholarship and still went through it. But the, you know, the, the you know, they, they heard about 20, 20, 25 or 30 players left during what was supposed to be involuntary, uh, I mean, voluntary practice sessions. Uh, and, of course, there was nothing voluntary about it at all. The coaches had them in wrestling in, in those uh, old handball courts. They had concrete walls, and, you know, basically whoever survived that uh, moved on to the next round. And so, uh, you know, there were several players injured. A lot of players quit during that during that period of time just from the excess uh, excess uh, uh, time they had to spend on uh, uh, in, those, in those practice sessions. And then... You know, I think there were situations where Charlie, uh, this is this was the next year, his first his first year after I graduated, was in law school. Uh, they uh, you know, he'd bring them back after after some of those games, and they'd practice. After they got off the plane, they'd go out on the practice field. So that just just that kind of brutal stuff. You know, when fall practice started, uh, summer practice started, we had those two a days, and uh, uh, it really. Okay, I'm not sure much, there are much time limits on how long you could practice. So, no, nobody got any water. Uh, you got water after practice. And uh, uh, now during the games, uh, you, know, you got some water at breaks and so on. But at practice, you got no water. And you know you'd lose. And then you and then you go into you go into the dormitory, the football houses for lunch, and they'd have a for lunch and dinner, and they'd have a bowls of salt tablets and. <laughs> I know you you lose you lose ten twelve pounds every practice of water. You're supposed to take separate salt pills. For, I mean, salt pills every pound you lost, and everybody just goes with water and went back out. Uh, but practices uh, in spring practice, we had thirty five days to get in twenty, uh, and so you uh, get in twenty practices. I think they've shortened that now to maybe fifteen days of practice. But you went out in pads uh, day one. I mean, the first day of spring practice, you were full pads. Uh, and the same thing in fall. Uh, first day of practice, well, actually, first day you went was picture day, and you weren't supposed to practice that day. So well, I got a bloody nose on picture day. Of course, you my picture was taken, but, uh, uh, you know, we practiced two days, full pads, from the first day you went out on the field. That was the rules back there. That, everybody, all the schools did that. That was nothing uncommon. That 1962 team was so well-known that a book was written about them called The Thin 30. A guy by the name of Shannon Raglan wrote the book, published it in 2007, and I talked to him about everything he uncovered and what his thoughts were with that program back in 1962. That's coming up, so stay with me. I'll be back in a moment. I'm Gary Fogle. You're listening to Kentucky Sports Memories. I grow up, I want to be a new pair of blue jeans. When I grow up, 
I want to be a kid's first computer. When I grow up, I want to be a glass countertop in a new home. When I grow up, I want to be a kid's best birthday present. When I grow up, I want to be a football stadium. When I grow up, I want to be a warm place on a cold day. When I grow up, I want to be a fancy backsplash. I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. When I grow up, I want to be a bench on a forest when I trail. Grow up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a I sunny porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be a... 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. Thank you for joining me in this, in this show. We're talking about the Thin 30, the 1962 UK football team under head coach Charlie Bradshaw. Team started out with 80 plus players, thinned down to 30 because so many players left the team due to the what they considered brutal physical and verbal abuse by Charlie Bradshaw, who was the new head coach at Kentucky at the time. So a book was also written about the Thin 30, written by a guy by the name of Shannon Ragland, and it came out in 2007. I had a conversation with him. I guess my first question is, why did you decide to write the book? I knew a lot of guys that I was in uh, law school with, friends of mine. Uh, Jim Bolas, his son, Bo Bolas, uh, another guy. Hal Helmers, his father, John Helmers, a lawyer in Owensboro, and they'd been a part of this uh, this experience at the football team, and it was mysterious. And the sons didn't really even know what happened. They knew something had happened, but they the parents didn't really talk to them about it. So I was just kind of intrigued about, well, what, what was going on with the Thin 30? Are you surprised with what you found out with the, I don't know, the brutal practice techniques that he used? You know, it's... I've conducted so many interviews. I guess I talked to 75 or 80 players. So the onion just kept, you know, revealing itself as as, uh, as they're describing the brutality and the way that, you know, it affected their um, their adult lives. You know, this was, these were, this was, we think back to this, they weren't wearing leather helmets. This was big time college football. They played in big stadiums. They played at Tiger Stadium, you know, at LSU with 100,000 people. They flew across on – this was big-time football, and these were all – many of them were all Americans. And, you know, their this chapter in their lives was incredibly disruptive, and it hurt them then and now. And, you know, it was a really dramatic – it was one of the most dramatic events in their lives that they came to UK. Most of them were recruited by Blanton Collier, who'd been fired just before Bradshaw. And because Kentucky didn't think he was doing well enough, he beat, he beat UT five out of eight years. And in 1961, that wasn't enough, uh, which, you know, today I think we would take that. <laughs> but So they've been recruited by Collier. Bradshaw comes in, and Bradshaw was the offensive coordinator at Alabama, who just gone undefeated. He played at Kentucky in the late 40s. The idea was he was going to come in and replicate Coach Bryant's model um, at the University of Kentucky. Well, that didn't happen. 
Well, was Coach Bryant this brutal with his players at Alabama, or did Brad? Well, Jones... you've seen you've seen or read Junction Boys, which is about the '54 team at Texas A&M. Right. So there was a tremendous amount of brutality. Um, I think that Coach Bradshaw uh, impl- implemented the brutality, but he he didn't have the skill set. Uh, you know, he didn't have the carrot and the stick. It was all stick all the time, and it, it you know it just it got out of control. I, I don't think that's really what he intended to do. Um, I, I mean, and I think he ultimately had some regrets about it, but it was it was it was more intense than what was going on with um, Coach Bryant at A and M. A coach were to do that today, he wouldn't last today. He'd be gone. He'd probably go to jail. Yeah, the, obviously the the um, the times have changed dramatically. You can't hit players. Um, you can't abuse them physically. You can't abuse them in the same way you could then academically. Um, you know, I was thinking about a story when we um, in preparation for this. Um, they played an away game that season. It was at the players are not exactly sure which one it was because it was such a dramatic event. It's either at Georgia or Vanderbilt, and they didn't play well. And they flew back on the plane and went from the plane, and they replayed the whole game play by play through the night. And they practiced until the sun came up the next day. And in kind of one of the seminal moments in the book, they've just come off a play, and Bradshaw charges and strikes the guy, Vince Samari, who was later an assistant at Trinity on their first state championship team in 68 or 69. He hits Samari. And by now, it's like a mutiny. And as Bradshaw goes to hit him again, Samari grabs his hand and has control of the coach. And the players are circling. And to give Bradshaw credit, at that moment, Bradshaw said, okay, boys, take it in. We're done. But it was a a moment where the players fought back um, from the brutality. It was just a really striking moment by one of the most – one of the, the great characters in the book, Samari, who was a five foot eight, hundred and eighty pound guy who played guard in the SEC in nineteen sixty two. Obviously your book will detail great more than I will do in this uh, podcast. So if people want to read your book, how can they get it? It's it was out about thirteen or fourteen years ago, but if you look on Amazon for the thin thirty or look around you can still find it. It's not as widely available as it uh, once was. And if you Google it, if you're interested to know more about the story, you'll find lots of articles about what was happening with that team. Thanks a lot. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Gary. See you next time. You heard Shannon Ragland mention Vince Samari in that incident with Coach Bradshaw. I reached out to Vince Samari. He's 80 years old now, lives in a nursing home in Texas. We had a conversation about the Thin 30. Vince, you were on that 10-30 team playing under Charlie Bradshaw. How tough was that? It was really tough. I mean, we we lost more than half our players, and they were scholarship players. I mean, they gave up their scholarships. Why didn't you quit? Why did you stick it out? Well, I stuck it out because I loved the game of football. And... And the other thing, I wasn't that great a player. So uh, as more people left, it gave me a better chance to play. In other words, I didn't care how tough they made it. I was going to stick it out because if I stuck it out, I know I'd play. There's a book, as you know, written about it. 
And in that book, they talk about an episode where Coach Bradshaw strikes you, and then he's going to hit you again, and you grab his hand. Do you remember that incident? Yeah, I do. I so do remember you... that. We st- we stood there. We stood there with me holding his his arm, and I wasn't going to let him hit me. You know, I just wasn't going to allow that to happen because because he was he was very very forceful with the players. And uh, I had played my best. I've done everything he asked me to do. And I didn't expect him to mistreat me in any way. We we stood there. We stood there with me holding his arm. And, and, and at the time, I didn't know what to do, but I wasn't going to let him hit me. Just wasn't going to allow that to happen. What did he say to you after that? Or how was your relationship with him after that? Well, you know, the thing is, it seemed like he respected me for some reason. I don't know why. Uh, But I think he respected me for standing up for myself. I'm I'm not sure that's the reason, but that's what I'm giving you right now. What did your teammates say to you after that happened? Well, they couldn't believe it. They were all for me. They weren't sure weren't against me. They were all for me. But they sure didn't disrespect me for it. They respected me more for it. Did you did you enjoy your experience playing for the Thin Thirty? You know, you know. Here's here's the thing that's uh, kind of interesting. You know. I went there. I went there on a full scholarship, and I was I was a good player out of high school, but I wasn't as good as some of those kids there at, at Kentucky. Uh, you know, I had a full scholarship, but I wasn't I wasn't as fast, I wasn't as big, and I wasn't as strong as a lot of those kids that were there ahead of me. Uh, so, in that respect, in that respect. Uh, I I just hung in there. I, I hung in there because I had a scholarship, you know, and I wasn't going to give my scholarship up. So I I wanted to play, but it it wasn't staying on the team was more important than playing. I think I, I just I wasn't going to let them run me off for any reason. Uh, if that's what their choice was, I didn't know what their choice was, but. Uh, we were sure lost a lot of a lot of kids, a lot of players left, and, and I don't blame them. It was really, it was very brutal. It wasn't, it wasn't what we came there to do. We came there to play football, and and that's what we wanted to play. We didn't expect all this physicalness from the coaches. So. Uh, in, in a lot of respect, I was very lucky that I just hung in there. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much, and uh, you take care, and good luck to you. Okay, I appreciate you calling. Thanks a lot. Vince Samari, who's 80 years old now, obviously a hard-nosed football player back in his day, and a brave one as well to stand up to Coach Bradshaw like he did. By the way, Samari was an assistant football coach at Trinity High School for a couple of years back in 
1967 and 68. And in 68, he was an assistant coach on that team, that Trinity team that won the first of what would end up being 26 state titles. That's how many Trinity has won over the years. And their first one came back in 68. He was an assistant coach on that team. Not only that, Samari has art skills. He was also an art teacher at uh, Trinity High School, and he designed the logo that Trinity still has, that they still use. As I said, he's 80, living in Texas, and we wish him well. By the way, as far as Coach Bradshaw's career at UK goes, he was the head coach there for seven seasons, beginning in 1962. He only had one winning season, and that was 1965 when his team went 6-4. and four. After that, in 66, he went 3-6-1. and one. In 67, 2-8. And, and in 68, 3-7. And, and he resigned after that 68 season. So seven seasons as the Wildcat head coach beginning in 1962. And only one year where he had a winning record. Again, 1965 when his team went 6-4. and four. Remember earlier in the show, I talked with Jerry Woolham, another member of the Thin 30. When we come back, we're going to visit with him again because he's a fascinating story. He's in his late 70s, and he's still working. He's still working full-time. But the job he's working full-time, I think, will surprise you. It will also amaze you. And that will be our subject when we return. So stick around. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories, and I'll be back in just a moment. Hello, I'm Krista Schaus with United Way of Central Kentucky here in Elizabethtown. If you're looking for help, what you can do is you can call 211. That's just 211, and it's toll free, it's confidential. What they'll do is they'll ask you what your zip code is and they'll try to navigate resources for you. If that does not work because 211 is not the be all end all of help, please reach out to the United Way office at 270-737-6608. We are working from home, but the phones are routed directly to our cell phones. And so we're able to look through our resource guides and try to help give you further direction. But your first call should be to 211 and if all else fails, once again, the United Way office at 270-737-6608. Welcome back to Kentucky Sports Memories. I'm Gary Fogle. I'm your host and uh, happy to have you with me. Thanks for joining me today. And I try to bring you a show of interest once a week. So I hope you can tune in on a regular basis. And by the way, if you ever miss a show, you can always go back into my archives on my website. So if you go to KentuckySportsMemories.com, you can click click on the Archives tab, and you can go back and listen to any of my previous shows I've done in this series. I try to bring you a variety of topics, touch on a lot of different sports, and touch on a lot of different areas throughout the state, so everybody is represented. Today, talking about the Thin 30, the 1962 University of Kentucky football team, when Charlie Bradshaw came over and took over. He was an assistant coach previously at Kentucky, left 
for a few years where he was an assistant for Bear Bryant down in Alabama. Then he got his first head coaching job on the collegiate level, that being at Kentucky, but apparently his tactics were quite brutal, both physically and mentally, and a lot of players left that 62 team, started out with 80-plus members, and they called them the Thin 30 because they were down to 30 by the time the season started, and according to Jerry Woolham, a former player, they were down to about 26 players once they wrapped up the season at Tennessee, which, by the way, as I mentioned, they won in a 12-10 upset, one of their three wins on that season. I'm going to get back to Jerry Wollum because he is a fascinating story. He is 79 years old, and he is still working. And you may say, well, it's not that unusual. A lot of uh, people who are in their late 70s continue to have a job. Many of them who do probably work part-time if they have a job. Well, his is not part-time. It is full-time. And what's most interesting about that is he has a job that isn't an easy job, one that you could just show up, put in your time, and leave and go home and be done for the day. Jerry Woolham is a surgeon. Yes, 79 years old, and he is a surgeon. He works at a hospital down in Barberville, Kentucky. That's over in eastern Kentucky. And uh, he took on that job in 2018. He was working at another uh, medical facility prior to that, but uh, because of some circumstances, he moved over to a new job in his late 70s and has been a surgeon since the early 70s. So coming up on 50 years as a surgeon, he's still going strong. So I thought that was absolutely fascinating that Jerry Willem at the age of 79, still working full-time, more than full-time, as you'll hear when we talk here in just a moment, and working as a surgeon. As a matter of fact, interesting story, when I first called him to talk to him about the Thin 30, I called him and got him on the phone at his office, and I think it was on a Wednesday when I called, and he said, can you call me back Friday morning because I'll have more time to talk then. I've got patients I have to see right now. Call me back on Friday morning. He even gave me his personal cell number, said call me on my cell and Friday morning and we'll talk all you want to talk. So I said, great. So Friday morning, I call him at the time he told me to call around nine o'clock. And this lady answers the phone and she said, oh, is this the radio guy calling to do the interview? And I said, yes. She said, well, Dr. Wollum wanted me to let you know that uh, he got called into emergency surgery this morning. (laughs) Again, 79 years old, gets called out on Friday morning into emergency surgery. She said he's very apologetic, but uh, he will call you back later and do the interview, which he did. We did the interview. It was great. But Not only, again, is he working full-time in his late 70s, he's working full-time as a surgeon in his late 70s, and he's also getting called in on occasion for emergency surgery. So pretty fascinating what this guy has done with his life. And if you heard or remember earlier when I talked with him in the interview talking about the Thin 30, he had mentioned that he had aspirations of playing pro football. But once he played that one season for Charlie Bradshaw, It left such a bad taste in his mouth, he didn't want to be involved in football anymore and went a different direction, and that direction was medical school. And so he said, in hindsight, it really did him a favor because it led him into a career that he's been involved with now for, as I say, coming up on 50 years practicing, 
and uh, he's loved it. It's been very fulfilling for him, obviously, because he hasn't called it quits yet. So I thought this segment, we would talk with Jerry Woolham about his career as a surgeon and the fact that he is still going strong. You go to medical school, and uh, you're still practicing. Yes, have that's you, correct. Have you thought about retiring? No. <laughs> so it's not even on the on the calendar anywhere in the near future? Not long as I stay healthy and good Lord lets me keep uh, doing the things I'm doing as long as I'm healthy and uh, feel like I am still capable, which I am, I will. I have no intention of retiring. Of the guys you played football with at UK, do you think you're the only one still working? I'm the only one I know that is still working. And you've been a surgeon for how many years? Uh, I started uh, practice after my residency in 1972. So you plan on uh, being a surgeon well up into your 80s? As long as I'm healthy and uh, and capable, yes, I, I, I truly, truly enjoy what I do. Do people, or especially your patients, do they come to you in amazement? Uh, that- not really, I don't think. I don't think uh, I have changed uh, physically or, or mentally over the years. They just still see me. Uh, the way I've been, I, I, I don't have any comments on my age. They, a lot of them will ask me how old I am, and I tell them 59, and they, <laughs> get, and they laugh. That's pretty good. So you've been in the, you're in the Barberville, Barberville area now. Yeah. And how long have you been at this uh, current location? Okay. I was at, I started practice uh, in Pineville, Kentucky in 1972, and I, practice there and Joe it is a very very good hospital small hospital it financially for several reasons got in trouble and almost closed and so I reached out to the ARH system and luckily they jumped all over me and I've been in Barberville now and the ARH changed since November of 2018. So I've been here about a year and a half. I see. You started basically a whole new job in your late 70s. Yes, yes. Uh, That's pretty good. Yeah. How many hours do you work a week? Mm. (laughs) I have a full five-day-a-week and, uh, you know, on call, sometimes at nighttime, like this emergency this morning. I'll, I'll, I'll work 40 to 60 hours a week. And you do general surgery, is that correct? General surgery, yes. I see. Well, very good. So what do you do for fun when you're not working? What are your hobbies? I walk every day, and I fish every chance I get. I used to play a lot of tennis. Um past that now. Joints don't like that anymore. So my main hobby is, uh, is fishing and been with my children and grandchildren. Well, do you do you talk at all to your former teammates of that uh, Fin 30 bunch? I do. Uh, well, only one. I have, let's say, a lot of the, those boys are dead. Uh, a very good friend, Dave Gash, who lives in Lexington, is still 
still active and I correspond with with Dave uh, quite often and and we don't really like to talk about the 1030. Just because it's a bad memory for you? It's a bad memory. You heard Jerry Wollum mention his good friend Dave Gash, former teammate, whom you heard from earlier in this show. So I asked Dave Gash what he thought about the fact that Jerry Wollum, at the age of 79, is still working as a surgeon. Well, you know, it doesn't surprise me. You know, he's always focused. You know, as a young guy, when we played football together, he was focused. He was driven. And, I, you know, he's always been a community guy. He's been, a you know, somebody that cared about the people that, that he's lived with. So I, it doesn't surprise me at all that he's still there. I wouldn't do it. <laughs> I couldn't do it. But, that, no, it doesn't surprise me at all that he does it, you know. I mean, I talked to him and I said, do you plan on retiring? He says, I don't have any plans. There's nothing in the future. I have no idea. I hope I can do this forever. You know, that, that's what he tells me. You know, I don't know. I said, Jerry, how, how much longer are you going to do this? He said, I don't know, as long as I can, as long as he could. So, you know, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, uh, he, he's just a driven guy. That's his entertainment. That and his family, that's what he likes to do. So more part to him. <laughs> yes, I'm very impressed that, you know, he turns I'm 80 impressed. next year. He yeah. turns 80 next year. And it's not like he's doing some job that's a simple task. I mean, he's doing a very difficult job, a very highly skilled job. Very skilled. I, you know, it, it's kind of kind of strange that he can do that. I, I don't know. I couldn't do it. Well, not many people could. But obviously, you know, he, he does a good job. The people he works with, the people around him have confidence in him. So, so that's a good thing. East Kentucky, down in East Kentucky, well, they need good doctors. They need people who care. And, and Jerry cares, and I'm sure he's doing a good job. First of all, again, fascinating that Jerry Woolham, at the age of 79, he'll turn 80 next May, that he's still a practicing surgeon down in Barberville, Kentucky, and he's coming up on 50 years in the business, going strong, as you heard him say, doesn't know when he's going to call it quit. So we wish him many more years in his profession. And it's also very telling that he mentioned that even when he talks with his friend, uh, David Gash, they talk about their playing days at UK, but they don't talk about that final year, the 1962 season under Charlie Bradshaw. And they just kind of wipe that from their, I don't guess they wipe it from their memory, but they wipe it from their conversation. Talk about the previous years when they played under Blanton Collier. My thanks to you for being a part of this show, listening in this week. I always enjoy hearing from you as well. So if you want to reach out to me, please do so. You can always go to my website and uh, there's a contact tab there. Click on that and several ways to get in touch with me. If you want to reach out and give me story ideas or a lot of things that have happened in the history of Kentucky sports that would be of interest and fascinating to our listeners that I don't know about, and you can enlighten me and I can pursue them and make a show from whatever that might be. So please do that. Go to my website, KentuckySportsMemories.com, click on the contact tab and reach out to me and let me know what you're thinking. Coming up next week, going to shift gears a little more. We are in the month of September now. And you may not remember what happened in September of 1979. So I'll tell you. 
ESPN went on the air in September of 1979. And you may be saying, well, so what? So what does that have to do with Kentucky? Well, it has a lot because you may not remember the very first sporting event ESPN televised back when they first went on the air. It involved a team from Kentucky. It involved a sport that's probably many of you have played in your life. Many of you may still be playing today. But that's very interesting that a team from Kentucky was involved in the very first event ESPN ever televised when they, on the, when they went on the air in September of 1979. So that'll be the topic for my show next week. I hope you'll come back. I think you'll find it interesting. So until then, thanks so much again for being with me. I'll see you next week. I'm Gary Fogle. This is Kentucky Sports Memories. kids first computer when i grow up i want to be a glass countertop in a new home when i grow up i want to be a kid's best birthday present when i grow up i want to be a football stadium when i grow up i want to be a warm place on a cold day when i grow up i want to be a fancy backsplash I, I want to be a bike that races around the when country. i grow up i want to be a bench on a forest when I grow trail up, I want to be a rocking chair on when a sunny I up, porch. I want to be a skyscraper. I want to be. 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 When I grow up, I don't want to be a piece of garbage. And if you recycle me, I won't be. Give your garbage another life. Recycle. Learn how at IWantToBeRecycled.org. A public service advertisement brought to you by Keep America Beautiful and the Ad Council.